This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. I want to be a billionaire, so freaking bad, buy all of the things I never had. I want to be on the cover of Forbes magazine. Smiling next to Oprah and Hello, welcome back to the show. Song perfect with the theme of the show. How to get rich quick again. Surprised he said he didn't want to be on this show. All right. Uh, Kent Smithers, professor of economics here at the uh, Wharton School, and you're listening to your own Money Business Radio Series XM 111. For the rest of the show, you know the routine by now. I have a couple of financial planners with me taking your calls about your own financial situation. So if you want to invest your money, save for retirement, kids, college, buying life insurance, paying down debts, really anything related to your finances, if you got a questions about your finances, give us a call here live on Tuesdays here at 1-844-WHARTON. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And really, we are not about get rich quick schemes here on this show, but giving sensible advice. Welcome back to the show, Paul Hines, who's the CFP president and CEO of Hearthstone, a private wealth management firm in San Diego, California. Has avoided a lot of the weather we've had in the Northeast these last couple of months, and he's spent twenty two years a large Wall Street investment firm and founded. Stone in 2006 as he broke away from that. He's a graduate of UVA and he's uh, also in recent years formed an alliance to end elder abuse in the San Diego area. Welcome back to the show, Paul. Thanks, Kent. Glad to be here. And if you have a question, Paul, myself about your finances, anything related to your personal finances, again, give me a call here at 1 844 and That's 1 Six six go go back to the phones in just a minute here. Before doing that, Paul, just remind us a little bit about your firm and if you have a typical client, what's he or she like? Yeah, typically we work with super successful business owners and their families. Uh, we just love working with them. There's lots of complexity there, and we just love dealing with that complexity on behalf of our clients. Yeah, and again, speaking with Paul Hines, the CFP's president and CEO of Hearthstone Private Wealth Management in San Diego, California. Anything related to your finances, pick up the phone, give me a call. Live on Tuesdays, I would love to answer your question here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Let me go to Bill calling from Texas. How can we help you, Bill? Uh, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I'm a small business owner, and um, I'll be turning seventy sometime later this year. And so I suspect that sometime, hopefully within the next um, uh, year or so, I'll be required to take a uh, RMD, yeah. uh, RMD, uh, yep. required minimum distribution. Yep. And what I'm wanting to find out, if there's some way that I would be able to, to, to take the uh, RMD without having to pay quarterly, basically pay once a year instead of quarterly. And pay, you're you're referring to pay, pay the tax bill, the um, tax, it, yeah. Right. Essentially, not do estimated taxes, but uh, do the kind of a once uh, a year thing. You certainly could, you know, always do do a big chunk, you know, overpay your estimated taxes. Um, that can, not necessarily that that's saying it's a great idea. But Paul, your your thoughts in terms of how to manage that? I mean, the RMD is. Kind of a pain, you know. Um, obviously, it's hard to, almost impossible to avoid it unless you've, um, you know, moved money into raw things like that. But nonetheless, assuming that we have to take the RMD, how does maybe simplify um, some of the tax filings? Yeah, I think the easiest way to do it is to have the custodian withhold the taxes for you on your behalf. So just tell them how much you want them to withhold, and that way you don't have to file 
any uh, estimated payments, and the tax withholding goes straight to the IRS. Yeah, and and Bill, who is uh, currently kind of the the record keeper? Or who? It, it sounds like it's it's an IRA. Um, uh, who who is that currently held by? Uh, it's actually held by by Vanguard. Vanguard. Okay. So you yeah. know, it, it, I guess the question really is, will Vanguard essentially do that for you? In your sense, Paul, is that a lot of the larger firms, in particular, they'll do that. They'll they do the withholding. Will, yes. Yeah. And uh, also so, keep in mind that you can use the direct charitable rollover pr- approach. If yeah. you already give to charities, you might consider using your RMD to make those charitable gifts directly to the charity. Yeah. Mm. Okay, let me just uh, just to add one more sure. layer of complexity to it. As it is right now, as a, as a small business owner, uh, I'm currently just paying taxes once a year. Although, you know, as well, but that's essentially what I'm doing is just paying once a year. And so, if I just ask the uh, folks over Vanguard to continue to take out money uh, taxes, for instance. For my uh, future uh, uh, withdrawals for our R&D, well, then I can continue to pay just once a year. So just it's, it's, well, let's separate two things out, um, Bill. There is the taxes that you pay on your small business income and things like that. That's separate than the tax that you owe on your RMDs. And what Paul, and so again, you may be paying taxes on your business and not doing estimated taxes on your business. By the way, I'm not sure how you'd be doing that. What what kind of money are you pulling in from your from your business, Bill? How much? Uh, yeah, right now it's, it's a little bit less than seventy-five thousand a year. Okay, I mean, uh, do do keep in mind you typically have to make estimated taxes, so you face some type of penalty, unless you are, you know, you paid at least as much taxes, um, you know, uh, than than the previous year, and kind of at least one of the estimated uh, tax payments. But nonetheless, I think um, we're, we're talking about two separate things. Uh, in in mm-hmm. particular, you pay taxes on the on the required minimum distributions. And Paul's point is that uh, Vanguard would be willing to do that withholding for you, send it into the government on a quarterly uh, basis, and that would be reported on the uh, forms that Vanguard gives you at the end of the year. You may have overpaid, actually. Either get, mm-hmm. They're doing some guesswork on your on your tax bracket and so forth, but then that would uh, result in a tax refund um, later on. In many ways, it's it's kind of the way that you know if you have a home mortgage, um, a lot of times the bank will do the withholding for the property taxes. They actually want to do the withholding. Sometimes it's required that they do the withholding for your property taxes because they really want to make sure that you're sticking inside, staying inside the home. That come to, to you know the tax bill, um, you're not going to be stuck and not be able to pay that tax bill and therefore lose the home, and that puts them um, at risk. I hope that's helpful, Bill, and thanks so much for calling. Good luck with that. Again, speaking with uh, uh, Paul Hines, who's a CFP and president at Hearthstone uh, Private Wealth Management in San Diego, California. Live on Tuesdays, love to answer your question. Um, uh, anything about your finances here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Let me go to Annette calling from North Carolina. How can I help you, Annette? Hi, Dr. Smith. Thank you for taking my call. My question is general. How do we need to be positioned in the stock market? I'm not afraid of the stock market per se, but I'm afraid of some of the politics that are happening. So, you know, I don't know. We might start a war any time. So I'm just trying to see how do we need to be positioned in the stock market? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, um, it's stock market actually, you know, obviously has lots of volatility and 
uh, things like that. And you're right. There's external things that, you know, uh, trade wars and other things like that um, that it could it certainly have um, a, 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 an impact. Um, so, Annette, I mean, uh, it, typically we, th- we think about, you know, your needs and so forth. So tell me more about um, your background. How old are you? Are we talking about mainly retirement saving? Do you have other goals that you're saving for? G- give me some of the more give me, it's kind of financial bios here. Sixty-three. I do have a um, a pension, and I am um, have a four hundred one k. You know, I guess about three hundred some thousand. I'm just trying to see how I need to be positioned with the four hundred one k. Because I mean, yeah. in two thousand eight, I wasn't afraid. I mean, I kept maxing out, even though it was just tanking. Good. So that doesn't frighten me. But what frightens me is the unpredictability of yeah. what we see. Yeah, and tell me about this pension. Is it from a private employer, the federal government? Who are you getting it from? Uh, this is from the state. From the state. And so it, it's unlikely um, uh, that would be indexed with inflation. So there's always inflation risk that you have to be um, concerned about. Like your Social Security check, I, I assume you're going to, uh, maybe you're a teacher, but are you also going to get Social Security? Um, I'm not getting my social security. I, I'm doing my husband's, but I don't, okay. I don't do my social security. Okay, so you're going to get the spousal benefit. I mean, do keep in mind, the nice thing about social security is it does index for inflation, as, as we do, you know, things like um, uh, military pensions, things like that. A lot of the state pensions uh, will not. So inflation is one risk, actually, that you have to be more concerned, uh, well, highly concerned about, not necessarily the most concerned about, um, just because a little tick up in inflation could really erode value. And you, you, do you know what your pension benefit will, will be um, upon retirement? Well, I, I mean, I'm drawing it now. So okay. it's like... Um, Forty-seven hundred a month. Forty-seven. And what's your? What are your expenses right now on a monthly basis? Uh, around three thousand. Around three thousand. Okay, so good. So you're consuming less than um, the pension, and that the nice thing about the pension again, it's 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 kind of like a bond. You know, uh, it, it, again, you said you're getting it from the state. You always have to be a little concerned about state and local pension plans because you know they're not backed by the federal government's pension benefit guarantee corporation things like that, and some of the numbers that uh, the states use uh, for their pension plans are a little bit, let's call them bogus, <laughs> although North Carolina is one of the few states that try to reform um, that and come up with more transparent numbers. And so the real question is about this $300,000 in your 401k, how you should be invested, and the fact that you're getting pension allows you to take a bit more uh, uh, risk with that, but still, we want to be careful with your age and so forth. And it sounds like you're retiring pretty soon, is that right, Annette? Um, I don't know. I think, I mean, I work part-time now, uh-huh. and I, I think that I'll just continue doing some things yeah. because, as you said, inflation and sure. that type of thing. So. Yes. so on the Social Security side, have you guys started uh, collecting Social Security yet, or are you um, not, not pulled the trigger on that yet? Um, yeah, I do the spousal, but I've just made so much that it's been suspended. So. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. So your husband, uh, how, how old is your spouse? Um, no, he died. Oh, he died. Oh, okay. So basically, then you actually took over his benefit. Right. And um, yeah, it sounds like you got hurt, hit with the earnings test. Keep in mind, this is something a lot of financial advisors, well-meaning, don't understand, is that even though your Social Security benefit's gone away, um, it actually gets recomputed later on. Essentially, that, that money you think you're losing, you're actually not, not in present value. It, your benefit later on will be recomputed um, uh, uh, to, to, in fact... Um, 
account for the fact that you lost the benefits today. So that or so-called earnings test is actually uh, very generally misunderstood by uh, a lot of people, even uh, uh, financial uh, advisors. So the real question. So uh, 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 Paul, I mean, sounds like she has a, a pretty good, uh, you know, uh, pockets of kind of safe income here or safer-ish, you know, income. Uh, here, uh, higher than her spending. And so I think there's really two questions. Her original question is, you know, do you factor in political events when you're kind of trying to think about this type of stuff, you know, for your clients? Or do you just try to come up with something that's fairly robust to, you know, political politics has always been part of the stock market. So you try to come up with something that's fairly robust to that. And then um, secondly, do you, how do you think Annette should be thinking about that $300,000 in terms of asset allocation, in terms of kind of risk, given her other uh, flows of income. Yeah, I have another question for you, Annette. Do you have any children or people who would inherit anything that's left over? Um, I have children, but they are grown. I mean, you know, <laughs> they can take care of themselves, but I do have children. Okay. So what I was thinking, uh, you know, when we structure our portfolios, there's always the expectation that the market's going to go up and down. So we want to be prepared for those in advance, not react to them when they happen. So we're also goal-oriented, so we try to assess the goal, what's, what's needed, and then base the portfolio structuring on what the goal is. Okay. And it seems to me the goal here is to uh, just continue to build your nest egg over time because you are spending less than you're bringing in, and there's a good chance that this 401k will last quite a long time, and there might even be some left over for your children. So it seems to me it's a long-term goal. Okay. And I, I would keep the exposure that you have now. What, what do you have now in terms of exposure to the market in terms of the percent? I think it's 60, 40. 60%. To me, that sounds about, sounds about right. Yeah. That's, okay. Yeah, and if you didn't have the safe income coming in right now, um, I would say dial down the risk exposure. I mean, I would say that that's um, a little bit uh, too high. But you do have the safe income, and as Paul points out, um, you're really, in many ways... <laughs> I don't know if you like your kids right now or not, but in many ways, um, unless you start doing some Paris trips and so forth, um, you're essentially destined for your kids because they're going to be the ones or your heirs or the charity um, that you, where you're going to leave um, a lot of that money to. And, and so, you know, you always want to have some precautionary, you know, uh, money sitting around for your own out-of-pocket medical expenses that – do add up and things like retirement into you know health uh, health care um, stuff that Medicare doesn't pa uh, uh, cover um, even skilled nursing care is if you don't have a long-term care plan that's going to be which most Americans do not that's going to be some buffer um, there but you know so you certainly having 40 percent of that three hundred thousand dollars in kind of safer assets that, that certainly makes um, sense for for buffering those things but in many ways you are investing for your children your children are younger. Your children have a lot of human capital in front of them. And when people have a lot of human, so a lot of times you hear, you know, hey, you can take more stock market risk if you have a longer time horizon. That's not quite the way economists think about it. It's just that we typically think younger people can take on more stock market risk simply because they have this big asset that is more like a bond. It's called their human capital. And as a result, they should, the limited finances that they have, they should put that in more equities, stock exposure. Um, and essentially, that's and that's Paul's uh, correct point here. Is that it's like you're investing for them, and so you have to think about it. You know how they what would be optimal partly from their perspective, and that would be likely taking on more stock market risk. And so uh, sixty forty seems uh, pretty reasonable 
uh, to me as well. And again, don't be worried about the earnings test. That's going to kick back and come back to, to help you um, later on. Keep working. I mean, uh, your benefit certainly gets bigger the longer you delay uh, uh, taking Social Security. So thanks so much for calling the net. Really appreciate it. It was a great question. And uh, bottom line is, Paul, I recommend you don't necessarily change things simply because of what's in the news. It's, there's always stuff in the news. And uh, again, speaking with Paul Hines, CFP and President and CEO of Hearthstone Private Wealth Management in San Diego, California. Love to answer a question here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And let me go to Dave calling from New Jersey. How can we help you, Dave? Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. I've got it. I'm at the other end of the spectrum. I have two young sons. Mm. Uh, one is literally just ready to move out. The other one's not quite ready to. And I'm trying to help them with their taxes and set yeah. up a Roth uh, IRA for them. Yeah. And the problem is I've got $500 to spend, and it's really difficult to find a Roth plan at $500. Uh, Give me some ideas. Yeah, so when you say $500, is that each or split between them? Each, each. Each, okay. And so you're trying to figure out how do I get, you know, start a Roth for $500 uh, 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 bucks. Let me ask you this, though. Uh, Do they actually have earnings right now? Yes. Okay. And they are, in fact, um, would they be contributing to this Roth uh, over time? Yeah, this is for them. I want to get them started. They really don't have much in the way of uh, financial um, acumen at this point. So I really want to get them started. I'm going to use their money to start their uh, Roth plan. But at that $500 limit, I just can't find much that's really looking good for a place to put it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is actually true. Even places like uh, Vanguard and so forth, um, they usually have a you know a thousand dollar kind of um, uh, a minimum uh, for getting kind of started. But were, were your sons uh, would will they be willing to eventually you know start to contribute um, to that to that Roth? That's that that's my main question. Yes, absolutely. Okay, okay. All I'm trying to do is set them up for. Hey, look, this is what you need to do every year. You need to put some money away into the Roth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, Paul, your thoughts, and I have a potential idea here about your thoughts about, you know, if he's not able to hit the minimum. And I've not memorized the minimums of all the different, you know, fund houses and so forth out there. I know that Vanguard's, I think the smallest one there is a thousand bucks. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think you're right there. And I, I want to congratulate you first, Dave, on doing this for your kids. I yeah. It's fantastic. And yeah. setting up with a Roth IRA is going to really stand stand uh, in good stead for them over their lifetime. So it's great that you're doing it. I'm sure you can find someone. I, I think uh, Kent is right. Vanguard, the traditional ones like Vanguard, Schwab, TD Ameritrade, I think have a $1,000 minimum. But if you right. were to I've search... actually ended up going to robo-advisors to uh, uh, get started. Mm-hmm. Next year we can move it out, maybe to a, a Vanguard transferred over there. But for this year with 500, just trying to find something to do with it. Yeah, you yeah. might you might try some of the traditional IRA. Uh, I'm sorry, mutual fund houses like like maybe um, Franklin funds or American funds. Mm. And uh, I'd have to do the research, but I'm I'm guessing you'll find someone if you just look around a little bit. Yeah. 
Yeah, you okay. have to. Yeah, you have to be careful. Cause some of those uh, funds, though, do are often you know houses that also have uh, commission-based uh, funds. You know, my thought here, Dave, is you know, um, is simply to not worry about making the infusion immediately, but asking your sons, hey, you want to contribute to this Roth? Vanguard, Schwab Fidelity, you know, all those really great places to kind of get started and so forth. If they have a thousand bucks at minimum, do the following. You know, give me, you know, uh, 50 bucks a month for the next, you know, whatever, so many months here. And I hopefully <laughs> there's enough trust there. They're willing to do that. And at the end, once we hit a thousand bucks here, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, you know, once you get up to 500 bucks, you know, I'm going to match you $500, and I'm going to open up that, you know, Vanguard account or or whatever, you know, uh, uh, dealer that you want to go with. And what I would do though is not open up the account for them. Actually, sit down with them um, and actually uh, show them work. Th uh, let them be at the keyboard. Let them go through the process of you know the Vanguard website. Get them familiar with it. I think that's you know many ways as Paul was alluding to. It's not really the 500 bucks per se. It really is just getting them level set it and getting their mentality about saving mode, interacting with financial services, just getting them going. That's that's going to actually be worth way more than the $500 seed money that you start with them with. But yeah, Kath, I just had one other yeah, thing. Yeah. The kids are different ages. You could take the $1,000 you have now and open up one account for one of them this year. And then do the other ah, that's one a good, next year. Yeah, that's a good idea too. I mean, uh, it, that's often hard, Dave. <laughs> hey, yeah, you know, um, you know, we're showing more love to one than the other, but the other one is older. So yeah, that's a good idea too. Is that if you are able to do come up with additional money uh, next year, um, maybe you don't want to spend two thousand bucks altogether. Um, but if if you're willing, if you're able to do that, then maybe doing it that way. Just open up the one for a thousand bucks this year, and then a thousand bucks next year but if you really you know don't want to do more than a thousand in total across the two sons then i think it, then my trick of uh is probably then the then the way to go is that helpful dave it was very helpful and actually it's not going to be bank of dad that provides them the input they are going to be using their own money for this good good yeah i mean that, uh, that's I, I made sure they had it before I considered putting this all together. Okay. Okay. Good. I think just sitting down with them, you know, trying to get them to the thousand bucks minimum. Um, that's that's good, and really showing them how to kind of use the Vanguard website and to, to the uh, TD Ameritrade, Fidelity Schwab, and so forth. These websites, I, I really think, could be a little bit more friendly still for uh, millennials in particular. Um, they're they're not quite uh, uh, there yet. So thanks so much for calling. Dave, I, I really appreciate it, and we're gonna, Thank you. Uh, um, yeah, we're gonna take a a, a, a quick break here. Oh, I promise, promise, promise. We'll come back uh, to the phone lines in just in just a minute here. Um, again, speaking with Paul Hines, who is the uh, president and CEO of Hearthstone, he is the private wealth management firm in San Diego, California, doing a great job answering your questions here. So if you have a question about your finances, whether it's, you know, uh, paying down debts, investing, you know, going for retirement or getting your kids started, I love questions about that. Uh, different ways of trying to get your kids engaged with the financial service uh, system. It seems very opaque at many times. Um, just give us a call. Live on Tuesday. So pick up the phone. Give me a call here at 1-844-WARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. So go right back to the phone lines with Paul Hines right after this quick break.
Welcome back. You're listening to your money. I'm Kent Smith. This is Business Radio here at Sirius XM 111. We're going to our second hour. And a reminder, we are live every Tuesday from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern. So if you want to know if you can afford something in particular, just have a question about your investments, just wondering if you saved enough for your kids' college or your retirement, really anything about your finances. Here with me in this segment is Paul Hines, President and CEO of Hearthstone Private Wealth Management, doing a great job answering your calls and with me. And so give us a call. Love to answer your questions about your own finances live on Tuesday. So pick up the phone, give me a call here at one 844 Worton, just like the school name, W-H-A-R-T-O-N. That's 1-844-942-7866. Promise to go back to the phone lines. Do that right now with Joel calling from New Mexico. How, how can I help you, Joel? Hey, thank you. Um, my call's a little different than your previous one. I have young grandchildren. They're now 5, 3, and 1. Yep. And, and when the first one was born, my wife said, let's give them some stock. And so we did, and but we've kind of consolidated this into three custodial accounts, and we're contributing five hundred dollars a year okay. uh, to these kids. And but the question is, is this the big picture right thing to do, doing custodial stocks versus a, uh, a college plan? We kind of uh, want them to have the money when they're adults, so that, yeah, uh, they'll be. I can main, be the custodian until 21. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, that's the thought. That's the question. Yeah. That's the big picture I'm looking at. Yeah, and I, I do sometimes seem, seem, see a logic for custodial accounts. But let me ask you, what do you see in their, in your mind is the primary purpose of these accounts? Does it teach them something about investing, or is it about paying for their college? Well, as they get older, it's, it's really going to be for them to learn about investing. That's that's my opinion, at least. Mm-hmm. Their parents are off saving money in in tax deferred college programs, and their their father, their, my son in law, has said, based on what he currently knows, uh, they won't ever qualify for FAFSA type of uh, grants or anything like that. So, we're just trying to help a little bit about giving them some. Uh, Something of their own as they enter adulthood. Yeah. So again, yeah. right now they're five, three, and one. Yeah. Let me ask you: When they become like teenagers, are you going to give them some discretion about how that money is invested, or you know, uh, are you just really going to wait till twenty-one before they can get any type well, of? Well, my goal, my goal, and I did this with my own kids, is yeah. kind of show them the, uh, you, you know, right now we're we've got. A, 10 or 20 shares of various uh, dividend stocks, yep. and that's how we're how we're rolling it. But show them that, yeah, and, yeah. and have them talk about what stocks and what products do they use, and and uh, would it be good to invest in the product that they use as teenagers? But we're not there yet. But that that's that's my dream. Yeah. So they, what's important here is that often the fault in this show is hey, you know, helping them save for college. It sounds like from what you're saying is that your kids, their parents are pretty well positioned financially. The college is not going to be is not the main part of the equation. You never know, you know, things could change. Well, but, well I, I tell you what. I mean, college just keeps escalating. Yeah. Yeah. 
But, you know, our football teams do get bigger and bigger and richer and richer. So, you know, at least the money's going to a good purpose. No, I'm, I'm, just, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm kidding. Um, so, in, in, all right. So in terms of, uh, I guess, Paul, let's think about this in a couple, you know, uh, suppose, you know, obviously if we would say if the, the money really is for, you know, college, there would probably be a bit better to put this into a 529 plan, keep it simple and so forth. It sounds like, you know, for, for Joel, uh, Grandpa Joel here is really uh, to, trying to figure out how to do, you know, essentially get his kids thinking about markets and saving and investing. That's kind of the education, um, you know, he's really kind of after for um, right here. And I've seen different models where, you know, I've even had relatives do this where, you know, they have their kids and they give them some money. Once they become teenagers, they'll let them, you know, play play with the fund and since they, you know, it's still a custodial comp, but they can recommend what to buy, sell, and so forth. One of the uh, lessons that one of my uh, nephews learned was that he's, he, 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 just because he likes Disney products, it doesn't, doesn't mean Disney is a great stock. And he actually learned that actually buying a low-cost passive index fund was actually a better performer over time. But your thoughts about, you know, uh, uh, using an account this way and how how would how would how should Joel kind of structure this if it's not if again it's not really for college education as a primary purpose how how should he think about this program? Yeah, I think using the custodial accounts is the better way to go, Joel, because it sounds like you want to own individual stocks in the account, and yeah. if you use a college savings plan, you have to use mutual funds. Right. Well, so see, that and seems I, to be I'm the best just, way to go. Well, okay, that's good because I've just kind of been a seat of pants investor my whole life, and. We, I'm retired, and we're living off dividends, and uh, that's just what I know. Yeah, yeah. and you can use uh, mutual funds in the custodial account, and you can also use individual stocks. But in the college savings plan, you don't really have one way you can go, and that's mutual funds only. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. And here's what I would say, uh, uh, Joel, is, uh, you know, wait till those kids are, you know, um, you know, teenagers. It depends on how much money is built up at that point. You know, without it, then actually give them some control of it. Not necessarily the whole amount. But let them do some trading and so forth um, with it. Again, one of the big takeaways will potentially be um, we've you know, again seen this with my own uh, nephew is that he kind of learns that individual stock picking is often very hard to do because just because he used that hair product or that Disney product or whatever doesn't necessarily. I mean, the market knows that and it's already priced most of that in. Doesn't necessarily mean it's a great stock purchase um, as well. And so what I would say is, you know, maybe t is some of the money today that you're doing individual stocks, maybe just instead use a, a low-cost, you know, passive index, something like a Vanguard fund, things like that. Let it grow. And then once they become teenagers, you know, give them some con more control. Again, they're not necessarily, they're not executing the trades themselves. That's you. Um, but, you know, give them some control, uh, maybe over a portion of it. And if they want to buy individual stocks, stocks, they can do that and they can kind of track the performance of that versus kind of a, a more boring kind of low-cost, you know, mutual fund. And most, more times than not, the low-cost mutual fund is Warren Buffett was showed in this famous bet that he won over the past decade is that it's going to win. It's going to do better than taking individual stock positions. But at the same time, you know, we're not talking about huge money here and having them, you know, uh, take some individual stock picks. Not, not a terrible thing at this age, yeah. at least to get them excited. Is that helpful, Joel? 
it is. I mean, you know, we're kind of just sitting there now, and I'll tell you that we chose stocks because of what we were using. Yeah. And those kids use diapers, so we bought Kimberly Clark. <laughs> and you know, that's not a bad idea. I mean, you're thinking, my goodness, just those you know kids poops that that much. You might as well buy you know own the company, buy at least part of that company. <laughs> uh, we're paying all this all this money too. No, I love it. Uh, that, that's that's great. Thanks so much for calling, Joel, and good, good luck. Thank you. Thank uh, you. There, uh, you know, and I think it's fantastic getting. You know, think really think about the grandkids, and again, getting them excited. Even you know, we typically uh, poo you know individual stocks in this show, but uh, this is an example where I think you know where it does make some sense just to get people edu- you know, the younger kids educated about how the markets work. It itself has great education value. Um, and so, let me go to Michael calling from Texas. How can we help you, Michael? Yes, I uh, recently sold a business, a part of business, and uh, from that I was able to get around seven and a half million dollars and i have about uh, after paying off my mortgages i'll have about seven million dollars left okay. and so i'm trying to figure out what the best strategy is going forward with that that money uh to still enable you know the preservation of capital and uh, allowing it so i continue to grow as well so yeah and have you paid taxes already on that yes yeah, all that's after taxes. Okay, after taxes. And so t- tell me about more about your situation. I assume this is all kind of liquid at this point. Is this is sitting in cash at this point? That is correct. Okay. And uh, it, 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 tell me more about you, your age, where kind of the goals, how much have you saved up for retirement? You know, what do you want to ultimately do with this money? So I'm 36. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got uh, four kids. Uh, I'm still. We still have a, a portion of the business, so I'll be still getting around 180,000 from that business. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, right now, I just after I won't have any debt after after paying off my mortgage. So it's just trying to figure out the best way to uh, just ensure that I don't end up losing that. Uh, that amount of money going forward. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it sounds like you know you are, you know, it's certainly concerned about capital uh, preservation. But you're, you know, you are 36. What do you plan doing with the rest of your your life? I mean, it sounds like you have some passive uh, in, uh, income coming from the company going forward. What are you going to do with career wise? Well, that, uh, we still have uh, we'll still have operations elsewhere. So we just sold a, a portion of the business. Okay, so I'll still be working for that business. Um, and that's where I'll, uh, the salary would be 180,000. Okay. I, I currently have from that. Um, uh, and so I will, uh, I, I have about 250,000 in, uh, 401k right now. I've got about 150,000 in 529 for the kids so far. So it's just trying to figure out what to do with the, you know, this, this kind of came up pretty suddenly. So I was trying to figure out what yeah. the best strategy forward, uh, without making, you know, too many mistakes, uh, to ensure I, what that, would you say is the primary use for this kind of money going going to be? Because capital preservation is really kind of not the goal. It's it's kind of the means uh, toward the goal. Is it retirement? Is it um, maybe you want to be in the, uh, to uh, be able to pull a trigger on investing in another business? Um, is it kids? Uh, if you had to take a guess, a kind of maybe you can break it down percent wise. I mean, what what do you think is the, the going to be the use of this money? Uh, primarily, it'd be. I mean, we'll use it, some money for like family trips and stuff. But primarily, it would be to you know to pass on to our kids later on in life, so they they will have that ability to where they won't have the 
if they if they uh, they need something to get started in the business or or uh, to uh, take a certain career path, and we'll be able to help them with with doing so. so yeah. Primarily, just to, for our legacy, not not so much for us to use and and, and do a whole lot with. It's uh, just uh, okay. making sure it's there, so it, we don't. We don't make any of those mistakes that you kind of hear. Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. So, but this is not like you. It's about having black powder for the next inve- big investment opportunity, the next business, the next startup, and so forth. It really is. This is kind of your big nut in life, your big exit, and um, you're trying to be kind of wise on doing this. And it, it sounds like a large part of this, given that you're having other income coming in over time, is going to be for, as you pointed out, legacy. So, Paul, you know, in many ways, we think, you know, as uh, similar to to a previous call when it's kind of legacy you almost would be investing with the thought of your kids perspective um, and and so forth uh, but how, how would you break this but at the same time it sounds like Michael is concerned about capital preservation in many ways it's contradicting goals here um, but you know it's a more the view that you know is more of a some of a more constrained optimization problem here how, how uh, help Michael kind of work through this sure and I just have two quick questions yeah. one is did you sell a controlling share or do you still have control we sold uh just we exited the u.s portion of our business so we still have international operations got it okay and the ages of your children uh i've got uh seven two seven year old the four year old and the two year old okay so, yeah yeah so got a ways to go before college yeah yes exactly so the, the best advice that i could offer someone in your position is to um, contact a financial planner and have have a meeting with a qualified financial planner who doesn't sell products, um, has all the, the necessary credentials, preferably a certified financial planner credential, and have them really help you work through your all your goals and, and help you set up your your investments to match those goals. Yeah. So it's really hard for me to be sitting here in California just on the information I have to tell you how how to set up your investments. But I think sitting down with a financial planner at this stage in your life would really serve you and your family very well. Yeah, and there's no question. I mean, whenever we have a big life um, stage, including kind of a, either having kids, getting married, buying a house, you know, um, or a big exit from a company, uh, that's definitely a time you want to spend some uh, serious time with a fee-only uh, financial planner. And remember, it's really important that you memorize a fee-only and only fee-only, not fee-based or anything like that only fee only and so, so you can find some of these uh, only fee only types at uh, the website napfa.org n-a-p-f-a.org and as well as on my website kentonmoney.com but let me give you some uh, high level advice Michael is that what you really want to do is not think about the 7 million dollars and how do I avoid losing it because yeah you could avoid you know losing it by you know converting it to you know just keeping it in cash and making sure across many different bank accounts, uh, $250,000 max. Um, but then, you know, it, you still have inflation risk, so you're only, you know, really preserving it in a nominal sense, not in a real purchasing power sense. Um, you know, you could buy safe bond funds, but there's no such thing as a totally safe um, bond fund. There's only, you know, bond funds, unless it's ultra-short bonds, uh, they're always going to have some, you know, repricing risk because of longer-term maturity bonds can 
often be repriced. That's how they give you a bigger return. Um, so it's really trying to get away from this mentality. I got $7 million, worked hard for this. How do I preserve it? And really, really uh, work through all the different goals and priorities. Getting your kids through college, that's a high priority. We don't want to gamble too much with that one. Um, making sure that you have some you know, legacy. Uh, how, what, the, what's, what is the minimum of that kind of look like um, and how important really is that um, to you? Once you actually break down all those different goals, then you get you get a comfort zone about things that you are willing to take risk on. You'd be certainly willing to take more risk if you thought your kids were really in a good position in life. And that's it's really part of the, the uh, advantage of when you have a big exit like this to sitting down with an advisor is that they kind of de-risk in your mind. Uh, when everything's vague, everything just seems, you know, it, when it's amorphous, it, it just seems all risky and, you know, just protect the whole corpus of, of assets here. But when you break it down, you realize what's been covered pr- pretty much more concretely with a lower risk but low return type of assets. And you're willing to take on more risk for the other things that are a little bit less important. So really, this going through this goal exercise is going to be extremely uh, important for you. Um, but having you know said all that, it's, there's almost going to be no question that a large chunk of this, you're going to your financial advisor are going to feel advisor is going to try to get you to look through this investment from your kids eyes if your kids could tell you you know your seven-year-old could tell you how to how to invest in your kids money if you've covered that kids college he's gonna have a lot of human capital ahead of them uh, it's likely going to be taking on more risk um, than you uh, necessarily think about uh, kind of right now once you covered kind of uh, the basics so it's really if this is a legacy looking at from their eyes their perspective is going to be um, um, uh, uh, really important for you. So again, nafa.org and kentamoney.com, those two websites. Then the one website, kentamoney.com, is my own website, but I make absolutely no money from it. I don't charge advisors to be on the website. No, there are people paid to use the website. Is that helpful, Michael? That is helpful. Thank you very much. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, and good luck with that. And again, um, speaking with Paul Hines, who is doing a great job answering questions, uh, president and CEO of Hearthstone Private Wealth Management. Just check the clock, and we're gonna, I'm going to come back to the phone lines here um, in just a second here, and I think but it's a good time to take a break. And Paul, f- a fantastic job once again. Thanks so much for coming on the show. My pleasure, Ken. Anytime. And uh, again, uh, you can find Paul Hines by going to his website, hearthstoneinc.com. He's also on my website, kentonmoney.com. Again, Paul Hines, hearthstoneinc.com. And I'm Kent Smothers, Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School here at Sirius XM 111. When we come back, more of your calls, answering your questions about how to save your money, invest it, pay down debts, and otherwise manage your money. Welcome to the show, David Frisch. And we'll be taking your calls live here at, on Tuesdays here at 1844 Wharton. That's one eight four. We'll be back right after this quick break. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 